This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so today we have a, uh, a General Assembly forum, I guess. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm going to do my best to make sure we have equal time for these very general and sometimes somewhat specific questions, and we'll go back and forth. Um, let's begin with about 60-second introductions, and we'll start with Rep. Newberry. Oh, Bill, thanks for having me on. I think the last time I was on your podcast was at your loft when you started doing it. It was That's pouring right. rain, different weather. Uh, for anybody listening who doesn't know who I am, my name is Brian Newberry. Uh, I was elected to General Assembly in 2008 for North Smithfield and Boroughville. I served three terms as minority leader from 2011 to 2017. I uh, decided after that, didn't want to do that anymore because there's a lot of administrative work involved with that. And um, But I've enjoyed being a rep and uh, decided to run again this year. And uh, elections are a month. And pretty much in my district, I'm pretty well known. But if anyone has any questions, you all know how to find me. Tell, telephone, email, whatever. So. And Paul? Great. Yeah, Bill, thanks a lot for having me back. So my name's Paul Jones. And I live in North Smithfield. I've been on the North Smithfield School Committee for the last six years. And I'm currently running... Uh, against the esteemed gentleman next to me for District 48 in Burrowville and North Smithfield. I'm a small business owner. I'm spending a lot of time going door-to-door introducing myself to folks, but feel free if you haven't looked me up yet. I'm at electpauljones.com, or you can give a call to my cell phone. Thanks right. very much. Um, par- sorry to cut you off <laughs> <Is that there. laughs> Classic move right there. It's all good. Um, all right, well, let's begin with something that's on your website, which is a statewide issue, and it's nuanced even within your district, no matter where you are in Rhode Island, uh, and that's education. Yeah. So... That's a highlight on your website that I saw. So let's begin with, with Rep. Newberry in terms of education. We, we're not getting the RICAST scores until after the election, so we can't even break those numbers down and have a look. But you would suspect they're probably not going to be stellar. Um, what's your take on education going forward and specifically with the funding formula, which is under the General Assembly's purview? Well, a couple of things. The fact that we don't have the uh, scores from the Democratic incumbent governor until after the election tells you what you need to know. They're not good. And we know the scores in Providence probably in particular are bad because they've been bad in the past. Um, you know, you have to look at it as a statewide issue. Our district is actually pretty good. Like, North Smithfield School Department's not perfect, but it's pretty well run. My kids all went through it. I've got one left at the high school. He's a senior. They've all had a pretty good education. I think the problem with public education in general is there's only so much a school can do. A lot of it comes from the family. You know, I mean, I, my kids will probably hear this when we're talking about it. My daughter, you know, she was a self-starter. She was in top 10 in her class. She did well academically, and she went on. My, my son, who's there now, you know, he knows. He repeated junior year, thanks to COVID. He has a tough time, uh, you know, with a lot of things a lot of teenagers do. But we, he has family support, you know, and that's why he's powering through school. He's a smart kid. He just doesn't get good grades because he's not a big school. So if you have kids who don't have good family supports, it almost doesn't matter what the school district does to a point. We can't have schools being babysitters and families for people. It really goes back to how our whole society is structured. That said, uh, you know, you got, I mean, North Smithfield School Department buildings are in pretty good shape. I, I've seen some Providence ones. I've heard horror stories. Uh, we're supposed to have gotten a lot of money from the feds to take care of those. You, you got to have proper facilities. You have to have proper environment. Um, I think they pay, I was reading somewhere, someone told me recently, substitute teachers in Providence are paid twice uh, what they're paid elsewhere because it's so hard to get people to sub in. A lot of it is simply... Uh, Family culture. And I don't know how to change that. That's not a Rhode Island problem. That's a society-wide problem. I mean, our school, we have good schools in this country. We have places that are not so good. Um, if you want to talk more about charter schools, we can do that, too. I gave kind of a long-winded answer. Yeah, that, I think know. let's get to that. But just yeah. br- briefly on, before we go to, to, to Paul, yeah. uh, briefly on the funding formula. Do you support changes to the funding formulas on a statewide basis? It's, you know, it's a complicated topic because the funding formula is designed to try to equalize funds. Now, in North Smithfield, we do not get a huge share of the funding formula 
And we also pay a huge share. I forget the exact percentage. Paul, he's on the school committee, probably is better than I do. But it's like, it's like, it was like 80% of our budget goes to schools. The last I checked on that, it's probably a little less. Um, yeah, everybody wants more money. But money isn't the real problem here. And the reality is a lot of the money is allocated for things like English as a second language and, and all kinds of stuff that we don't have as many problems in North Smithfield. Um, I'd rather rather than worry about how much money we get, like just make sure we're spending it efficiently. I hear stories. I remember in Boroughville, some of the Boroughville, every time I go to the Boroughville Town Council once a year, I always hear stories about how they bus kids for special needs across the state and the cost that brings in. Obviously, you want to give kids a proper education, but you can't have like a single bus taking a student, you know, 40 minutes a day everywhere. That, that's a lot of the money goes to that. Um, so it's a complicated topic. You can't talk about it in a podcast. You have to sit down with spreadsheets, numbers, and crunch it. But, you know, sure. Do I want more money for my district? Of course I do. So does every other rep and senator. It's not that easy. Your response on, on that general topic of education and then specifically the funding formula. And then let's touch on charters and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, you know, let me start with the funding formula and back my way out into the broader education sphere because, you know, I do believe the funding formula needs a lot of work and it takes a lot of nuance to understand the funding formula, the history behind it, and what it's doing to specific districts. Taking into account our district, every year that I've been on the school committee, it has become a consistent fight with our town council who is trying to be supportive. They really are trying to be supportive. But in trying to accommodate the funds we're asking for every year, they get frustrated and they say, well, how is it you're coming back to us every year asking for 4%? And a lot of that has to do with the funding formula, but also how charter schools are funded. You know, I very much believe in school choice, and I think it's great that students have the ability to go to the schools they want to go to. However, the way that charter schools are funded takes money out of the pocket of the school districts and the kids that are staying in the school districts and choosing to stay in the school districts. So just for point of reference, uh, the first year I was on the school committee, we had something like, and don't quote me in the exact numbers, but something like $200,000 in out-of-district tuition placements that we were paying. And uh, last year, there was about $800,000 that we have to pay out of our budget to have students in North Smithfield go to uh, out-of-district schools, charter schools, things like that. So in addressing funding writ large, we're going to be able to hopefully bring some of those resources back into our district so we can help make sure that we are shoring up things like keeping our school buildings warm, safe, and dry, making sure that we have a new roof on the high school, which North Smithfield is going to need in the next year or two, paying for the best and most up-to-date curriculum materials. These are all part and parcel of the same educational conversation, which is how do we get the absolute best education for our kids, and not just for the kids that want to go on to college, although they should be empowered to to go to the college they want to go to and given all the best educational tools to go to Harvard if they want to, Yale if they want to, UMass if they want to, Mass Maritime if they want to, like I did. Um, But college isn't for every kid. So also, What are we doing to empower our students through continuing and technical education programs and pathways programs to give kids just as much dignity and and solid options if they choose they want to be a plumber as a lawyer? So there's a lot to do with our education system. A lot of it has to do with the way that we're looking at what a student is and what their outcomes should be. Um, The funding formula is a big part of that. And just in North Smithfield, uh, thankfully, we have a really terrific superintendent who's very innovative, and he got together with other superintendents in the area to form the Northwest Consortium of Superintendents so that 
if, say, a North Smithfield student wanted to go to a Burraville school, not a charter school, but to Burraville Public Schools, that instead of us paying, us being North Smithfield, paying Burraville $15,000 for that student's tuition and education, we're only going to pay $5,000. So how can we find different uh, innovative techniques to save districts money, get us better resources, and ultimately help the students? So that's a, it's a big conversation to have. Yeah, obviously we could do a, like you say a podcast series, a symposium, yeah. whatever it is. We're gonna if we're gonna actually get into this one more issue at hand when we talk about the LEAs here in Rhode Island. Charters are, are part of that conversation. So, where do you stand on charter schools, and would you like to see an expansion of charter schools either within or around your district that could be an option for students that may be looking for an alternative? So. I have sort of a unique, not unique, but I had two kids go to North Smithfield High School, and my middle son went to Beacon Charter in Woonsocket. So I'm very familiar with that kind of charter school. And I think charter schools are a very good thing when they're targeted to a broad audience and they have a narrow focus, which Beacon does. You know, it's a school for the arts. There's also other charter schools in Providence that focus on science and things like that. I think those are really good ideas. I, I think you have to give people choice in schools. Well, we have a problem, and I gave this speech on the floor of the House, and I, I agree with what Paul just said on this topic, because I said this myself publicly back when we had a bill on this issue. North Smith, it's the mayoral academies are the problem, um, because they are basically secondary school districts within a district. The original one, of course, was, um, I forget the name, the one in Cumberland and uh, uh, Central Falls, yeah. uh, Blackstone Valley Prep. Yes. There's now one, Rise Prep, which has been open now for uh, three, four years in Woonsocket, and it's, it's supposed to cover Woonsocket and North Smithville Boroughville. Well... What it does is it's designed to take a certain number of kids out of the Woonsocket School District every year. I think it was supposed to be 20 out of North Smithfield and I think 20 out of Boroughville. I might be wrong on those numbers. 20 per class. Now, it's a high school. I think it might be more than a high school, but take the high school. North Smithfield High School had, several years ago, had about 500 students. You take 20 out of each class, you're taking almost 20% of the entire student population out. It's not just the loss of, fun, loss of funds because the funds follow the kid. It's also the loss for the kids remaining back in the school. How do you field a football team when you get below a certain level? How do you field any kind of competitive anything in sports if you're too small? You know, the, the high school is designed to accommodate a certain number of students. And you just, certain things you just can't do. It's not just the funding. Also, you're taking out probably some of the more motivated students, too. By definition, you're taking out the ones whose parents are more involved. So you're really going to hurt the student. You're not just helping students may go to rise. You're hurting the existing students, and, and the solution to that is not an easy one. You can make the same argument with Beacon, right? So if my son goes to Beacon, his funding goes to Beacon. The difference is Beacon doesn't have 20% of North Smithfield's high school population. It has kids from, I mean, more northern Rhode Island than Newport, but there are kids from South County and East, East Bay that go there. So I think you have to strike a balance. I know it's a very generic answer. I'm sorry for that, but it, these are not things you can talk about in great detail. You, you have to, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Every kid has to be educated differently. And, you know, there is a fo – I agree – Paul said something else I agree with, too. This focus on sending every kid to college has got to stop. Most kids have no need for college. Most things you shouldn't need a college degree to do. My son works at PPAC, and he works at Theater Body. So he went to Beacon for Technical Theater. He didn't need a college degree to do that. He Because you want the credential these days, he went out to UNLV to take technical courses and, and get the industry. You can imagine Las Vegas Theater, right? And then COVID hit, and he ended up taking the social degree and came home. It's worked out for him. But really, he doesn't need to have a college degree to do what he does. It's absurd to suggest that he does. But we have a society now, if you don't have a college degree, it's like you're a second-class citizen. It's ludicrous. I, I think we need a lot more people to go into the trades. And that's, that's what we should really be focusing on. Especially as we move towards the blue economy and the expansion of whatever it is, offshore wind turbines, smart bay. These are new industries. Just that in general, try to get somebody to come fix a leak in your sink. 
I mean, it's hard to find somebody. I was talking the other day to a retired electrician. I used to hire electric work, and I, you know, I said to him, I can't call you. He goes, no, no, I'm retired. I'm not going to. I wouldn't know who to call. I mean, I could find somebody if I had to, but if I have an electrical emergency or plumbing, I'm not going to, I'm here to, you know, we know there's the 24-hour, very expensive, very good plumbers, but you don't want to call them for the routine stuff, right? right. You can't find people. They don't return phone calls because there aren't enough of them. It, they're too busy. It's a serious societal problem. It goes well beyond the bounds of this discussion. On the charters for just a couple of minutes here as we wrap up education, your take on, on just, it's a very broad, obviously, almost impossible to answer question. That's why I wouldn't even say this is really a debate in this context. It's just sort of like, where do you stand on it? If the, if the voter approached you and said, where do you stand on charters as they're walking out of a Dunkin' Donuts with a coffee, what do you tell them? So long as we're funding charter schools the way we are, no. You know, I don't think we can, <clears throat> I don't think we as a, as a district or a state can afford to expand more charter schools so long as they're being funded the way that they are. Now, again, you know, school choice is important and I think it's great that children have the ability to choose the education they want to have and which is going to give them the best opportunity for the absolute best future. But at the same time, the way that charters are being funded right now, we are taking money and resources away from students whose choice is to stay in the district that they're in. So that's what I would say. I would say so long as it's being funded the way it is, I can't support an expansion of charter schools. All right, so that's education right there. We're going to move on now to just sort of a very general um, fitting for the General Assembly type of, of approach to this. And for this round, we'll start again with, with Rep. Newberry. You know, you're an ambassador for your district, whether it's just like we say on the street, you meet somebody, you, you, you're able to serve as that the facilitator of, of needs, of wants, so on and so forth. And it goes, it's really a two-way street. You also take what happens in the General Assembly back to your constituents, either through a newsletter or interactions or just through the actions you take. Describe why you are in this race the superior person to serve in an ambassador type role for your district. So there's politics, there's elections, there's partisan politics and all that. But at the end of the day, when you get 75 people elected in the House, they have to work together. Um, I have a long record of working with Democrats across the aisle. I mean, prime example, I was the prime sponsor of the civics literacy bill that went through this year. Greg Amore was my co-sponsor. He's going to be secretary of state. I think it's probably easy to predict that. Um, and uh, he helped get it through the Senate in particular because he had relationships with the Senate. No bill goes through the General Assembly without the blessing of the Speaker of the House. I have a very good relationship with Joe Shikarchi, the Speaker. Uh, the Majority Leader Chris Blazewski and I, he's from the east side of Providence. We differ on a lot of things politically, but we have a lot of similar backgrounds. Uh, we're both lawyers. He's from Cumberland, North Smithfield. Originally, he's from Cumberland. Mm-hmm. Um, we're friends. We can talk things out. And, and what people don't understand, they see the headlines or they hear some of the talk radio calls, but there's the election and then there's the unofficial election within the election at the state house, and I think the people who've watched me over the 14 years I've been there know uh, that I'm, I'm very. It sounds egotistical to say this, but it's real. I'm well respected by my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, um, and I can get things done. A lot of things that go on there are not uh, they're nuanced things. Actually, speaking of charter schools, I remember there was a bill a few years back where the bill was written in such a way. I forget the whole bill did, but it was going to put the kibosh on the Founders Middle School in Woonsocket, which was just set for opening. It wasn't meant to. But I was able to get that changed. I didn't get it changed on a floor amendment. I talked to, actually, it was Greg Amore and then J.L. Grady, the rep from Lincoln. And we, I remember having a conversation in the finance room. I said, you guys got to fix this. And we fixed it. That, that's how things really work. There's the grandstanding, you know, the websites and the, all that nonsense. And then there's actually building the relationships with people. I have a long history doing that. I think the people in my district know that. So that, that's, that's the answer to your question. And, and how would you describe yourself as able to swoop in in this moment and become a better ambassador for your district? Well, you know, a big part of what I've been trying to do throughout this campaign is establish my credentials as somebody who puts the district first. 
You know, I mean, Rep. Newberry, he even mentioned a moment ago, he goes to a Burville Town Council meeting once a year. And if I'm a representative for this district, I'm going to be want to, I'm going to want to be more involved in the district and be there with the constituents and the, as much of the day-to-day concerns they may have as I possibly can be. You know, serving on the school committee for the last six years has given me a terrific uh, finger out in the heartbeat and the pulse of what's going on in North Smithfield. I'm developing those relationships in Burrowville and statewide. You know, Greg Amore actually has endorsed my campaign for state representative. I had a great meeting with the Speaker of the House yesterday. I've been building endorsements and, and conversations with people who are at the State House now and will hopefully be at the State House in November and beyond, who I can work with to bring resources to our district, to be able to say on the floor of the House, these are the things that my constituents are talking to me about. This is what we need to do to make sure that North Smithfield and Burrowville are adequately represented and I will work every day to do that. So that's my hope and you know as I've been going door to door and talking with people who have um, known me from the school committee or who have never met me before because our district has expanded a little bit and changed with the with the redistricting, I've had some really excellent conversations with people who are just looking for some some solid representation that's going to focus on the district first. Let's talk about one of the issues that's become a hot button issue. It's all it always is, but now it's kind of become more nuanced, and that's with abortion and the EACA specifically. That's that's the um, the the metric, the standard that separates the two candidates for governor. Well, the two major candidates for governor right now. Miss Kayla says she would not support the EACA. Mister Governor McKee has said that he would he would certainly pass that into uh, sign that uh, a, a budget that funds that. Where do each of you stand? And for this round, we'll start with you, Mr. Jones. So <clears throat> I've been endorsed by Planned Parenthood because I'm such a strong advocate for reproductive rights. I strongly believe that the government should have no say in how, when, or if a woman wants to start a family. Uh, when it comes to the EACA, I think it gets a little bit lost in the conversation that one of the major components of the EACA is that state workers would have any abortion procedures they would need uh, denied. And so in order to have an abortion in Rhode Island for these people whose claims get denied, you're looking at about a $600 cost. And not every family has that money laying around. And so to pass the EACA, I think, is a really critical component of what next uh, the next uh, House session would have to be. I would vote for the EACA passage. Uh, I do want to point out that Again, I am a strong proponent for reproductive rights. Rep. Newberry voted against the Reproductive Privacy Act in 2019, which would have codified Roe v. Wade. And as we've seen, the Supreme Court has uh, dismissed Roe v. Wade. And that caused a lot of stress and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety for families who were counting on having a, a country and having just this, this identity as a country, as, as caring about reproductive rights and caring about family health. And that's been shaken in a lot of people. And they're going to want a representative who they know for sure is going to go to the state house and vote for reproductive health. And that's me. Rep. Newberry. So I'm going to answer your question in a second. Mm -hmm. And I'll answer it at length. I just want to say, though, because this theme has been running, Mm -hmm. I take personal offense at the suggestion that I'm not connected to my district. Okay. You ask if you did a poll, a private poll, of the elected officials in both towns I represent, they'd be close to unanimous who they'd support as their rep. 
and we'll see the final result on November 8th. But the idea that I'm not connected, I've grown up there with my kids. They've all gone to the schools. No one has walked my town more over the last 20 years, frankly, than I have. And I am sick and tired of hearing that I have abandoned and neglected my district. I'm tired of it, and I'm letting people know right now I don't want to hear it anymore. With that, let's talk about abortion. Um, so abortion is a very, very polarizing issue. Obviously, we know that. Um, it is polarizing on both sides. And what you'll find is that the extremes on both sides of it tend to drive the debate. If you talk to people like I do, you know that for the vast majority of people, it is not their top issue. You can see it in polling. It polls nationally somewhere 7th or 8th. People are far more concerned about inflation, the economy, the disaster we have unfolding with the president in Washington. Uh, what's going on overseas is terrifying now. Um, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about the, obviously, we're in a recession. No one wants to say that in D.C. before the election, but we are. That's the top of the people's minds. The people who care and put abortion first are very passionate. All right. And I respect that. Whether I agree with them or not, I do respect their views on it. Um, the Reproductive Privacy Act of 2019 did not codify Roe versus Wade. It went well beyond Roe versus Wade. Again, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I've read Roe versus Wade. I've read Dobbs. I could speak at length about the constitutional issues, whether you, your viewpoint on it. I will simply tell people, read it for yourself, because the act that we passed allowed abortion up until birth. And that's not what Roe versus Wade did. Roe versus Wade, whether you agree with it or not, allowed for reasonable restriction to the second trimester and beyond, which is pretty much what the average person thinks. If you talk to most people and you say, listen, what's your view on abortion? First of all, they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> they run away screaming. You, know, you don't go up to random people and say, what do you think about abortion? Um, but if you talk to people and say, what's your view on abortion? You drill down and get their real opinions. Most people, the, the majority in this state, would describe themselves as pro-choice, but with reasonable restrictions. That's what most people would do. The law that was passed in this state went well beyond that. So that's why I opposed it. That said, it is the law, and it's not going to change, which brings you to the specific question of the funding issue, the public funding. Um, it's interesting to me because it's being tossed around by a political football. As I said, the Democrats have nothing to run on anywhere in this country except abortion. I know their polling shows them it gets people fired up on their side. So they're, they're running on it. I understand the politics. But the reality is that public funding of abortion in Rhode Island would be a budgetary item. And you know what that means. It means two-thirds vote. And if you know the members of the House the way I do, you can see there's close to 20 pro-life Democrats. So unless the Republican Party gets wiped out in this election, which isn't going to happen, um, you're not going to have enough votes for that anyway. So it doesn't matter what McKee thinks or Ashley Kalis thinks. It makes for good television fodder, good camera fodder. But the reality is public funding for abortion, no matter who wins this election, will not be in next year's budget. And it won't be there because the Democrats don't have enough support in their own party to pass it. And it's not because they'll put it on the floor for a vote and it will lose. That's not the way it works. What will happen is the pro-life Democrats in the House, and I said there's close to 20 of them, will go to the speaker quietly and say, if that's in the budget, you don't have my vote. So it won't be there. And everyone who's in the insiders thing understands that. So it's an interesting issue. I understand the passion on both sides, but it's a red herring from an election perspective. And certainly no line item veto makes it that much more of a you know, yes or no on the floor. Is well, no, it's arguing. not even that. As you know, the budget, the, the thing with the budget is you vote on different individual articles. That's fine. But at the end of the day, the only vote that matters is approval or disapproval of the budget. Um, and we do have, I, I, we, well, I haven't won yet. We have some Republican candidates out there that I think are going to win their races who are actually pro-choice. But they're not going to vote for the budget for other reasons. So you're not going to have enough, you're not going to have the 51 votes to vote for public funding of abortion. It's just not there. You know, maybe two, four, six, that might change. But you know what? It goes back to what I said earlier. The average person considers himself pro-choice, 
but against public funding for abortion. That's the reality of it. If you talk to enough people, you know that. And all, any amount of, you know, yammering on doesn't change the political reality. 30 seconds to respond to that, if you'd like. 30 seconds. So the biggest thing I can say is that as I'm going door to door or talking to people on the phone or getting stopped in the street or whatever have you, um, abortion is a tremendous issue for people. And it's not just people who are lifelong Democrats. These are people who are unenrolled voters. These are some Republican voters. These are mothers and fathers and grandparents who thought they were done with this fight when they were younger, and especially people who are younger themselves and who grew up in, an, in a world where uh, abortion access and reproductive health was always part of the conversation, and now it's not so certain. Yeah, these people are activated. And... Uh, well, that's all I'll say about that for right now. All right, certainly, again, certainly. It's, such, it's such a huge issue. We could talk about it all day. We certainly could, and it certainly serves as a, a, a dividing point in this race, no doubt about it. Um, we, unfortunately, are basically out of time. That's the nature of the beast here. I mean, we're not doing an hour and a half one-on-one here, you know, maybe someday. But um, let's wrap it up with just 45, 60 seconds you know your elevator pitch, which I that term's terrible. You know, but if you that that idea, I like that idea of like you're walking out of Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is, or you're you know milling about Pascog and somebody comes up to you. I don't know if that's pa- within the pa- Pasco. Pasco, is that yeah. what? The, thank you for the pronunciation. Pasco is well, not in District 48, although Pasco Reservoir is where Paul was out campaigning the other day. But that's a different. Story. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah for a different candidate, yeah. I was helping. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap it up with like 45 second closing statements, and we'll begin with the challenge, challenger, Mr. Jones. Sure. You know, I what's most important to me in this district is that they get the representation they deserve. You know, I understand that that Mr. Newberry was upset about my uh, facts that I was talking about. But by and large, the people who I'm knocking on, talking, knocking on doors, talking to on the phone, talking to via email, these are people who are trying to figure out still to this day, who is my representative? You know, going to a Burville Town Council meeting once a year is not enough. Going to a school committee meeting once every six years, not enough. You know, we need representation who is going to actually represent the interests and needs and future of North Smithfield and Burrowville. And for so many reasons, I think that's me. But I hope I earn your vote in November, folks. But look me up online. ElectPaulJones.com tells you a lot more about who I am and what I do. My cell phone number's on there as well. So if you see anything you like or have questions about, shoot me a call or a text. November 8th is Election Day. Hopefully I earn your vote. And, Bill, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Mr. Jones. Mr. Newberry. Rep. Newberry. No, as I said, I no, please call me Brian, actually. On the floor. I Brian, know yeah. <laughs> One thing I'm not is I can't stand formalities. But um, as I said, I've been the rep for 14 years. I was the leader of the House Caucus, Minority Caucus, for six of those. Um, I lived in that town for over almost 25 years now. My kids have grown up there. I have walked up and down every street for years. Of course, I don't know every single person. People move in, they move out. There's some people that vote that don't pay close attention to politics. That's always the case. Um, I, I would rely on my record. I, I don't think I've ever cast a vote in that in that building that really got went against the majority of my district. It's not because I put my finger in the wind. You know, most people get elected. You know why they get elected? Because they reflect the views of their constituents. My district, when I got, when I got elected as a Republican, my district voted for Barack Obama. I got reelected as a Republican. My district voted for Barack Obama. Then it voted for Donald Trump twice. Because politics shift, people shift. But I have always represented the basic interests of North Smithfield and Boroughville. And the people who know me, they know that. And I'm not going to repeat what I said earlier. The final vote will tell the tale on November 8th. I'll leave it at that. 
All right, Representative Brian Newberry, Republican, challenger Paul Jones, a Democrat. Gentlemen, thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck to you, the, the home stretch here. Thank you both.